0: Fellowship is one of the keys to church health and church growth. In fact, a church will never grow beyond its fellowship. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that if the fellowship of the church is healthy, the church is going to grow. But if the church is not healthy, the fellowship is not healthy, then the church is going to decline and eventually die. Sometimes we hear the word fellowship and we think, ah, boring, no big deal. But I can't tell you how important the word, the concept, the the ability of a church to be healthy apart from the idea of fellowship. And so I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. you know, John wrote the gospel, the eyewitness account of Christ, but he also wrote this epistle in First John chapter 1 and we're going to see that he uses this word in two different ways to help us understand the, why, why it's so important that fellowship be right in a church and uh, I think it will become very clear to you uh, why this is so important and really timely in the life of our church here he says this in First John chapter 1 beginning in verse 5 now this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in Him. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let me stop there. All right, there are several things that I want us to see about this idea of fellowship and why it's so critical in the life of the church and so important for you personally. First of all, we need to understand the meaning of Fellowship the meaning of fellowship. It's a word that's often been misunderstood. People think it's the idea of getting together, uh, maybe going to lunch, uh, sitting down, having coffee, uh, getting together maybe as a group, or even going to church, that that's fellowship. But there's much more to it than that. In verse six, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Uh, Some uh, Christian ministries have that word in their title. And somebody said, well, what does that word kononia mean? Well, it means fellowship. Uh, the, it means the idea of togetherness. It's togetherness of a common life. It's the bond of love and unity that keeps God's people one. It keeps us together. It's more than handshaking, more than friendly uh, smiles. It's a love that. Faces problems and difficulties with a commitment to resolve those issues and stay together. Fellowship is the determination to love one another and keep the body, the fellowship, together. Another way the Bible expresses this idea of fellowship is by using the word family. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household which is the church of the living God. Now, notice the two words, household. We, we see the idea of family and the word church. The church is a family. It's not a building, an institution, an organization, or a club. It is a family. Now, notice two aspects of fellowship that he describes. One is vertical. In verse 6, he says we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with God. Now, disobedience, sin, breaks that fellowship with God. Therefore, we cannot, as he says in the text, if that's broken, then we cannot have fellowship with other people. A broken fellowship that happens with God, however, can be restored. That's the good news. Now, notice the three words that he uses in verse 9. The first is the word confess, then forgive, and then cleanse. So the word confess means that I simply agree with you. If a charge has been made against you and you're guilty, many times somebody will make a confession. They'll they'll give a statement of confession. They're agreeing with the charge. The Holy Spirit has brought a charge against you and me. He's made a a, a conviction against us of sin. We've sinned against God. The Spirit of God says that in our heart. Our, Our spirit bears witness to that truth. And so what do we do? We confess our sin. We agree with God that, yes, we have sinned. And then notice it moves to forgiveness. If we, if, if, if we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. That means that he will erase the sin. He will cancel the debt that is against us. Jesus on the cross one of the seven statements, to tetelestai, which is the word, uh, a financial term that means the debt has been paid. You, the debt that you owe for your sin, your life, has been paid by Jesus Christ. So now all of your sin has been forgiven. But not only that, he says, and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We get our word catharsis from that Greek word. It means to purge, to remove something that should not be there. Uh, it's the release of something. It's, that term is used uh, physically. It's used emotionally in counseling of letting go of something. It's a great word. It's the idea of being cleansed. Now, notice he says that he is faithful and just or faithful and righteous to do that. Now, what does that mean? Well, he's faithful to his covenant. Jeremiah 31 God talks about this new covenant that's going to come to God's people. It's not the old covenant, that there is a new covenant. And he says in verse 34, I will forgive them of their iniquity and remember their sins no more. So he's made a promise into that, of that covenant, the new covenant, that that's what he's going to do. He's going to forgive us of our sin. So he's been faithful to fulfill that promise through Christ and then he is just or he is righteous so he is able to forgive us he's able to cleanse us because of the work of Christ on the cross that Jesus being righteous uh, is able to take care of our sin problem and forgive us so he is faithful and just he fulfilled his promise. And he has the ability to forgive your sin. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can deal with the sin nature that you have apart from Christ. So we're able to have our relationship with God restored. Maybe here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You may not really fully understand what has happened, but your sin has separated you from a holy God. And he can't have a relationship with you today. You can't know him, understand him. You may know some facts about him. But you can't know him. Uh, and, and certainly when you die, God does not allow sin into heaven. And so you're separated from him now and for all of eternity. Except that he's made a way for you to have fellowship with him. The fellowship with God. Now notice another aspect of this fellowship is horizontal. Verse 7 he says, there in, that, in light of that, we have fellowship with one another. Things must be right with God in order to be right with others. One of the first signs that something is not right is when people begin to move away from each other. Now that can happen uh, in in all kinds of relationships. He's not just talking about the church. Someone uh, pointed out this morning, say, "Well, you know, sometimes pastor, uh, a person will leave a fellowship to go to another fellowship." What I'm, I'm not talking about that necessarily right here. What I'm talking about is, is that people are, are moving away from others. They distance themselves. They, they are no longer engaged with God's people. Uh, it's not moving from one church to another, but there's something going on. Now, here's the issue. John is making the point that the issue is not the person. The issue is there's a spiritual thing going on between you and God. And that has to be made right. The fellowship is broken with God. And when that is made right with him, then the fellowship with others is made right. There is oneness. When we are having fellowship with God, then we move toward others. And we see the bond of unity and love restored. Notice third, there are two types of horizontal relationship. Okay, You have the vertical and the horizontal. Well, there are two different types of horizontal uh, fellowship one is inclusive have you ever been excluded have you ever Well, let me start with excluded yeah have you ever been excluded uh it's not fun when, when you've been put out when you've been excluded carl sandberg says that one of the harshest words in the english language is the word excluded nobody wants to be excluded the world excludes others, and the church should never have this attitude. We should never draw a line in the church uh, because when that happens, the church is no longer a church. When we say, you're not welcome. Now, the only way a person is not included is, uh, or excluded is because of the way they get into the church, and that is by committing their life to Christ. If they think they can be a member of a church or a member of the fellowship, apart from that, then they, they cannot. Or if there's heresy in the church, you're obviously not going to allow that to continue. Uh, you have to deal with that. So the point here is that, that the gospel is for everyone. And that leads me to the fact that the other aspect of a horizontal relationship is not exclusive but inclusive. 1 John 2.2, he himself, Christ, is the propitiation the payment for our sins, <clears throat> and not only for our sins, but also for those of the whole world. I love John three sixteen, 16, and one word in particular, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that means that you can be included. You may think, well, I, I can't be included uh, in, in, with God. I, you, you know, he won't accept me. Well, The gospel's for you, the gospel's for all of us. Now notice next, the demonstration of fellowship. The demonstration of fellowship. Now there are several things that we see fellowship lived out. Number one is is that you choose to belong. You choose to belong. Verse 7, he says we have fellowship with one another. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, So then you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, members of God's family. What is he saying? You belong. The Christian faith is not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of belonging. There is a community of faith. There is a family of God. Romans 12. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, members of one another. Linwood is a local representation of the family of God, the body of Christ. And you can belong right here at Linwood. Right here at Linwood, you say, Well, you know, I don't know if this place would accept me, you know, because of what I've done. Well, if I let everybody in this room give testimony of what they have done, and because of that, they would not be allowed to be in the fellowship. Nobody would be here. Right? We've all got a story. And just because you have your story doesn't mean you can't be included, can't be a part of the fellowship here at Linwood. And we want you to, we want you to know that you belong. You belong here. Now, Uh, you know and I've said this before but I think everybody in this town ought to be at this church God bless the other churches but when I talk to somebody I want them at my church because I believe in what God is doing here but of course there are other churches and other ministries where people belong and where they're connected I get that and I'm being facetious to some degree uh, that that we want people to feel welcomed and loved here at Linwood that they can belong Another demonstration of fellowship is by sharing with others. Acts 2:44 And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Now notice, they met together and they shared. You can't experience true fellowship unless you meet together and you share. What makes people friends for 30 years plus? They choose To fellowship with that person. They choose to have a friendship with that person. And they work it. They meet together. They share together. In all different kinds of ways. And that's true in the body of Christ. That we are to meet together. And we are to share together. That's how healthy relationships are built in the church. The same way. Another demonstration of fellowship is doing your part. The family needs you in every family each person has a part they have responsibilities when I grew up as a kid I had three sisters I was the oldest of four and I I would have a part to do in the family we had chores now what I did my sisters would not do and some of that they could not do and I, I didn't want to do the things that they did They had their part, I had my part, mom and dad had their part. Everybody has a part in the family, and that is true in this family as well. There are 58 times in the New Testament where the Bible says we are to work with one another to accomplish God's purpose. One example is 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Paul says, for we are God's co-workers. Did you realize that you are part of the greatest team that's ever been assembled You know, we're in the NFL, it's toward the end of the football season, four teams left. They're going to have the Super Bowl here pretty soon. Let me tell you what they're going to start doing on these sports channels. They're going to start showing the previous Super Bowl winners, and they're going to talk about the team. They're going to go down memory lane, you remember when, you remember when, and all that. And they're going to talk about that till the day they die, but then it's over. There's no more team. There's no more celebrating the win. But you're on the greatest team that's ever been assembled. And when you die, listen, the celebration just gets better. And for all of eternity, we're going to celebrate the win that we have in Christ and being a part of the greatest team in the universe. It's the greatest enterprise that's ever been established, what we're doing. It's the biggest thing that's going on that we can help people know Help them know God and to know they can be forgiven of their sin and experience the power of Christ in their life and that they have a home in heaven for all of eternity. Among other things, that their life has meaning and purpose today and they can celebrate that forever. And that all of us together, the church, the bride of Christ can do that. But you have a special part in the team in the fellowship Paul says in Ephesians 4 from him the whole body fitted and knitted together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part notice each individual part that's you and that's me you have a part I have a part I cannot do your part you cannot do my part we all have a part we do it together and we can get a lot more done together than we can apart. Another demonstration of fellowship is loving other believers. First Peter says this, love the brotherhood. What does that mean? Love your spiritual family. John writes, and we have this comp- command from God or from him. The one who loves God must love his brother. Romans 12, 10, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, this is the deepest level of fellowship in any relationship. It's when you're willing to die. You're willing to sacrifice. You're giving up your rights for the rights of that other person. You're willing to die to meet the needs of that other person. You're willing to sacrifice for the body of Christ, for the fellowship, for this church. In such a way that it, it, it demonstrates love and unity and it helps to build the body to grow the church. Now there are threats to fellowship that I want to talk about for just a moment. In Acts chapter 2, which I read earlier, that's where you find the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus said, I'm going to leave and somebody else greater than me is going to come. The Holy Spirit, the comforter. And, and so through that we have the birth of of the church. Now if you want to read some exciting uh, an exciting adventure, you need to read the book of Acts. Every page is filled with adventure. I mean, it's unbelievable to see what happened and how the believers responded in the early days of the church. So I, I encourage you to do that. In fact, uh, next Sunday night, I'm going to be uh, teaching about that if our, our Bible initiative. I'm going to go through the whole book. And uh, it's a great story of what God is doing through his church. Acts 4, 5, and 6, after the birth of the church, Satan begins to attack the church. He's trying to destroy the fellowship of the church. Now, we see, first of all, in Acts 4, that Satan attacks from outside the fellowship. The Sadducees, the religious leaders, are trying to stop the church, it's growing. And they tell the church to stop talking about Jesus Christ, specifically Peter and John. And so what does the church do when this opposition comes against the fellowship? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4. Let me read these words. The fellowship is together with Peter and John after these attacks have happened. And these threats have been made. And here's the prayer. And now, Lord, consider their threats. And grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Now notice this next verse. Now the multitude of those who believed thousands had believed by now. Were of one heart and so when the threat came from external opposition the church got together and prayed that's why i've called this church to pray and fast because there's power in prayer when the body comes together in prayer things happen the holy spirit moves and here they were trying to stop the message of christ but they were able to preach more boldly more courageously and the church continued to grow because they came together and prayed there will always be critics but our possibility of overcoming Satan's external attacks is by getting together and going to the Lord. Letting him fight our battle. We do our part. We take our stand. We, we, we fight in Ephesians 6. We put on the armor of God. But we know that we're doing it by faith through him. Notice the second attack is in Acts chapter 5. Satan's uh, opposition came by uh, uh, hypocrisy hypocrisy. Now as I read earlier in Acts 2 that the believers, there's a great need in, in Jerusalem and there are those who uh, literally are starving to death and so they are selling their possessions they're caring for one another and and Ananias and Sapphira are watching this, this married couple and they're saying you know, that there are those who uh, Uh, There's attention to those who are selling their possessions. They would sell their property or whatever. So Ananias and Sapphira decided they're going to sell their property, some land that they have. And so they laid it at the apostles' feet, the proceeds. But the Bible says they didn't put all of it there. They put a lot of it, but they kept some of it themselves. And so they acted as though they had given everything when they had not, and they lied about it. And God didn't wink at that. He wanted to teach the church a lesson early in the ball game. And so God took care of it. He took the lives of Ananias and Sapphira for their hypocrisy. But through that example, God kept the fellowship together. It didn't blow up because of their hypocrisy. It didn't disrupt everything that was taking place. But the way they handled it the way God dealt with it was for the protection of the fellowship but then we find in Acts chapter six that there is Satan attacks by dissension from within so the church is growing needs are trying to be met and you find these in chapter six verse one in those days as the number of disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews the Greek Jews these are believers. Against the Hebraic Jews, Hebrew Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews who were Christians. That their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So most of those who were become, coming to know Christ were, were Hebrew, were Jews. and But yet there were Greek-speaking uh, 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 individuals who were Jews who were also being saved and So the church is trying to develop a unified fellowship, but there are different cultures in the church, like it should be in every church. There should be different cultures represented in a church, the body of Christ. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. We get our word ethnic from that word, all people groups. And so the Hebrew Jews had a certain way of living out their faith, and the Greek Jews had a certain way of living out their faith. And the Greek Jews are saying, hey, we're being overlooked. Our widows are being overlooked. Their needs are not being met. So how did they solve this problem? What took place? Notice it says that there was a complaint. There was the tension of maturity of these believers in the church. What's the level of spiritual maturity? How strong is their faith? And so what happened? Well, the leaders got together. And it was the mature leaders who said, here's what we're going to do. And it protected the church from being destroyed, from the fellowship, the body being broken up. The fellowship was restored, and notice in verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole company. The problem was resolved, and unity was maintained in the fellowship. We need to be on point. We need to be alert. We need to watch for our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. Not just you, not just your family, but the church as well. He hates the church. He hates for what it stands. He hates for the power of the church and the authority of the church that we have over him. And so we have to be watchful and protect. And when there is that kind of dissension or or attack by Satan against the church or within the church, then we have to handle it in a godly way, in a Christ-like way. Notice also there has to be balanced fellowship, very quickly. A church of fellowship has to be person-centered. Not number-centered, not dollar-centered. Not building-centered, not program-centered. You know why that's important? Because if that's what is the focus of what you're doing, then you compromise people. Their needs are neglected. They are not important. They are a means to an end rather than the church existing for the needs that are in the community and in the body of Christ. So it has to be person-centered. Secondly, it has to be Bible-centered. We saw this verse last week let me read it again all scripture is inspired by God that means God breathed and is profitable for teaching for rebuking for correcting for training in righteousness, and righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work James says be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves every class every group Every individual should commit themselves to do whatever the Word of God says that we must do. Listen, we can never compromise the Word of God. This is where we have our authority. As I said, this is where we have our power, our moral power to live out our faith. And so many churches are suffering in their fellowship because they can't figure out what the Word of God says. Now, there are different applications of the Word of God, but when the Bible is clear about certain issues, the Bible is clear. And we can't be arguing and debating about what God has said. We can't say, well, I I feel God is this way. I feel God believes this. No, there's no feeling about it. This is what He has said, thus saith the Lord. And so we go on what the Bible says. We cannot compromise that because when that happens, the fellowship will break up. Too many examples of that happening. It has to be Christ-centered, finally. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. That's a great model for your life. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for Him, for His glory. It's the right thing to do. And then it works out in the fellowship. If we're worried about different people, it's not going to work out. But if I just worry about Christ, if you worry about Christ, what he's told you to do, he's going to say that. To, if everybody has that attitude, then he's going to help maintain the fellowship in the body. Every activity, every event, every person must be Christ-centered. Life is not about accomplishments. It's about relationships. You are here to know God and to love God. You are here to know his family and to love his family. And you are here to help others know God and to love God, to know his family and to love his family. That's our purpose in life. I want to tell you, I'm so grateful for the fellowship of this church. We, we, there's, there's so many people who give testimony of the fellowship of this church and the love that's in this church, the unity that's in the church. We're not perfect. We all have different opinions about things, But we are committed to the fellowship in the body, and here's why. Fellowship is one of the major keys to church health and church growth. If it's not there, it is not going to happen. A few months ago, I heard a a member of our church, a woman, share part of her testimony. And uh, you're going to hear it more fully uh, in the weeks to come. But I was so inspired and encouraged as she talked about this fellowship. She was in a time of crisis in her life personally. She moved here and was looking for a church home, and someone invited her here. And you made a major difference in her life. Some of you poured yourself into her life, encouraged her, counseled her, taught her. And she said, I've grown so much. For today, she's a very godly, mature follower of Jesus Christ and I want that to happen for everyone in this room and listen there's so many people outside of these walls who are not experiencing fellowship and here's why they are not in fellowship with God and as a result they are not in fellowship within. they are divided they're scattered They cannot think clearly. If they're very honest, they really don't understand what it's all about. They're just getting along, trying to do what everybody else seems to be doing, work, make a living, take care of my family, hopefully have enough when it's all over, and then it's over. What does that mean? What kind of life is that? There's no purpose in that. It doesn't matter in the end if that's the purpose of life they're not connected with other people the way they could be they're disconnected in their families they're disconnected at work in relationships they're not a part of a church and that's why we need to be a church that is aware of those who are not in fellowship with God and then they can be in fellowship with us Where they can experience the source of life. They can experience real life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I'm not in fellowship with God. That means one of two things. It means that you've never given your heart to Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never experienced His forgiveness, His cleansing power with your sin. And today that can happen. As you confess, you agree that yes, God, I am a sinner, and you receive His forgiveness as you repent of your sin and turn to Christ and Him alone, and to know that you are completely cleansed of your sin, as He says in this passage, by the blood of Christ. That means by the shedding of His blood. His, He gave His life in that way, so that our sin could be covered, our sin could be washed. It can also mean, and by the way, if that's you, at, and when we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to come. Our pastors will be here to help you as you give your heart to Christ and experience a new life in Him. But this also mean that maybe you're not in fellowship with God because there's sin. And uh, different, different types, different ways that that could be manifested. And maybe you need to just get along with God in this moment and say, Lord, here's my sin. I confess, yes, it is sin, Lord. I've tried to rationalize it, justify it, but I can't. It is sin. And I confess that. And thank you. You thank him that that sin is forgiven at the cross. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that you're acknowledging, that you're agreeing with him, and you're acknowledging that that sin is forgiven and is cleansed by the blood of Christ. And get on with it. Restore the fellowship wherever that brokenness might be. There might be some that God is saying to you that you need to be part of this fellowship, this family, the local representation of the family of God. And we would love for you to come and be a part of what God is doing here. There may be others that want to just come to the altar and pray alone. Or maybe you want someone to pray for you about any need that you might have in your life today. We'll do that. Father, I thank you that years ago, I heard this tremendous message that my sin could be forgiven and I could have a relationship with you. I could have fellowship with you every day, every moment. And that I could be a part of a fellowship of believers, a community of faith that had been such a blessing in my life. Father, I can't imagine where I would be today without the family of God. Lord, I pray you'll help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.